you, Rob. And good morning, friends. Special welcome to you if this is your first time with us or your first time in a long time. We are really glad to see you here. My name is Sandy. I'm one of the pastors of Rivercross. And before I came to join you here, I was living in Moncton. And that's where I was when the pandemic restrictions first began. And we all started spending a whole lot of time at home. And like many other people during this season, I started collecting hobbies like they were going out of style. I painted every day on my lunch break. I perfected my cinnamon roll recipe. I watched a lot of baking YouTube videos and I got really good at pies. Uh, invite me to your potlucks is what I'm saying. I'll bring you a good dessert. I sewed curtains and dresses. I went for walks. I planted a garden. I plowed through my audiobooks. I downloaded TikTok. And in perhaps my most unhinged pursuit, I applied to be a pastor at Rivercross. But I find myself now with a little bit less time at home, and I have been sifting lately through my vast collection of pastimes and evaluating which of them I would like to keep. If it's okay with you all, I would really like to keep being a pastor. It turns out that I really like it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Something interesting that I've noticed as I've been doing this, as I've been taking stock of how I spend my time, of what is adding joy to my life, of what is good for my mental health and for my spiritual walk, I've discovered that I'm not the only one. I've been reading some research from Springtide Institute on the relationship between mental health, the pandemic, and spirituality among younger generations, particularly Gen Z. And what really fascinates me is that overwhelmingly, the majority of our youth and our young adults affirm that spiritual practices contribute to better mental health. And there is even a higher percentage of this age demographic that has become more active in their church attendance over the course of the pandemic. And, not but, just and, when those same young people were asked which new pandemic practices they intended to keep moving forward as part of their regular rhythms, this is the list that the research generated. Cooking, painting, sculpting, and other artistic hobbies, therapy and counseling, journaling and writing, new breathing exercises and routines, and it might seem odd at first, if we know that this generation is actively valuing their faith, that things like Bible study or church attendance or worship are not on this list. But I gotta tell you, I think the kids are really onto something here. And let me tell you why. Over the past several weeks, we've been working together through a sermon series called Spiritual Habits, and we've committed ourselves to incorporating some kind of spiritual habit into our daily rhythm. Whether you're using the Lectio 365 app or the Daily Bread, or you're doing something that you've already been doing already, um, whatever it is, we've committed to try that together. And to be clear, the goal is not the habits themselves. The goal is that we will be spending time in the presence of God. And I would maybe even take that a step further and say that the goal isn't just that we spend time there. The goal is that we make our home there, that we set up camp in the presence of God and live our lives from that place. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, then you heard Pastor Rob speak about the call to holiness, to be set apart to God, not just in part, but in our ent entirety. Holiness means that we don't keep back any part of our lives, but we give ourselves over, all of us, to Jesus, who gave his life for us. And here's where I think the kids have got it right. Because of everything we have, 
and everything we are belongs to Jesus, then our hobbies are his too. I really love this quote from Abraham Kuyper. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. All of it, everything we have, belongs to Jesus. And as much as we know this to be true, I think we've been conditioned to think about our free time a little bit differently. If we think of the categories of our time that might belong to our pursuit of Jesus, then maybe I have my morning prayer and devotions while I have my coffee and that time is given over to God. And then maybe I come to church and I worship in community and that belongs to God. And then I have those areas where God has called me to serve and that time is given to God. And then I try to love my family well and to show kindness to my coworkers and to my neighbors and that belongs to God. And I have those areas of sin in my life that God has put on my heart to surrender to him, and that belongs to God. And then I have this tiny little box of unproblematic leisure time, and that's just mine. And nobody talked to me in it because this time belongs to me. But I'd like you to consider with me today how much more God might have for us how he might be calling us into a deeper experience of his presence by redeeming those things that we already love as instruments of prayer. And to orient our conversation about this, I'd like to introduce you to Brother Lawrence and his book, The Practice of the Presence of God. Some of you will know about this already, but Brother Lawrence lived as a member of a monastic community in Paris more than 300 years ago, and he is remembered in what I think is the most beautiful way, as someone who regularly forgot himself because he lost himself in God. And he spoke of his pattern of prayer this way. I make it my business to rest in his holy presence, which I keep myself in by a habitual, silent, and secret conversation with God. We need only to recognize him present within us, to speak with him at every moment. Our sanctification depends not on changing our works, but on doing for God what we would normally do for ourselves. It is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn my little omelet in my pan for the love of God. He came to know God really well through the ordinary business of living, by steeping himself in the presence of God as he washed dishes or mended shoes or tended a garden or prepared a breakfast. And I don't really believe that Brother Lawrence pulled this practice out of nowhere because the Bible is saturated with this idea that God's presence is inescapable. When Paul in the book of Acts comes to the city of Athens, which was a very religious city full of temples to every imaginable deity, he tells them about Jesus by introducing them to the God that they don't know, a God who is unlike any other that they have ever encountered. This God isn't bound to a temple, but is the one who created all things. This God doesn't need anything from humanity, but instead calls people to himself out of his great love for them. This God is imminently near, not far away from any one of us. And in him we live and we move and we have our being. Our whole life becomes wrapped up in who this God is. And then later on in Colossians, we read that Christ is sovereign over all things and that in him all things were created and in him all things are held together or all things consist. 
we read Psalm 139, we read of the psalmist speaking of this God whose presence is inescapable, however hard he might try. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become dark around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. God's presence is unavoidable. Jesus, in his own words, says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And look, I stand at the door and I knock. As C.S. Lewis said, we can ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. And I wonder if you would consider with me what difference it would make to our spiritual walk if we stopped believing that God is hiding himself from us, and instead we became attentive to the reality that God is pursuing us in our real lives, his presence hemming us in on every side. What would it look like for us to practice the presence of God all day and to stay with him in constant, secret conversation when we rise and when we sit, when we travel, when we stay home, when we work, and when we play. And I have a hunch that this would shape us in two ways. First, when I live my life in the presence of God, I am able to remember who I am. My favorite way of thinking about this is that when I am rooted and living out of the presence of God, I am able to remember that not everything is about me. It's a challenge. But as created beings, our life is derived from God. He formed us in his image. He breathed his breath into our lungs. He pursued us by his grace. He redeemed us through the death and resurrection of Jesus so that the life that we live now, both physically and spiritually, is in every way the result of the good gifts from God. It's a reflection of the life of Jesus. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And this is true about me, regardless of how I am doing. When I am in a season of difficulty, when I am grieving, when I'm tired, when I feel that I have failed, when I am broken and insecure and afraid, the thing that remains most true about me is that my life is derived from Jesus' life, and I can rest in the knowledge that my identity is secure and that I am seen and known and loved and used by the God whose presence is with me, even in my sadness. And when I am in a season of rejoicing, when I am rested and fulfilled, 
when I am enjoying success and plenty, when I feel like I have won, when I'm excited and emboldened and eager, the thing that is most true about me then is that my life is derived from Jesus' life. And so I can rest in the knowledge that my identity is secure and I am seen and known and loved and used by the God whose presence is with me in my joys. When we live our lives in the presence of God, we are protected from slipping either into insecurity or into arrogance because fundamentally my life is not about me. And so I can say, like Paul, that I know the secret to living with plenty or to living in want because everything we have and everything we are belongs to Jesus and is redeemed by his life. And we're able to remember this when moment by moment in the good and the bad and the big and the small, we stop and we say, God, here I am. This is yours. And then not only am I able to remember who I am when I live my life in the presence of God, I can remember who God is. Specifically, I am able to remember that he is God and I am not God. If we come back again to that passage in Acts when Paul is introducing the people of Athens to this God who is unlike any other, he speaks of him as the God who made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth and he does not live in temples built by human hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. When I live my life in the presence of God, I'm able to remember that God doesn't need anything from me. He's doing just fine without my help. And instead, God gives me everything that I need. I do not possess in my own strength all that I need to live well and to love well, to speak up when I'm afraid, to be gentle in the face of anger, to be patient when I'm tired, to give freely from what I have, to think of others before myself, to live joyfully in sorrow, to live compassionately in joy, to experience life in the midst of death, all of these things are impossible for me. And all of these things are given freely to us by the God who supplies our every need, who transforms and shapes us into the image of his son, who allows us to participate in his work of redemption. And we're able to remember this when moment by moment, in the good and the bad, in the big and the small, we stop and we say, God, I need you. This is yours. And I wonder how much more God might have for us if we practiced our hobbies this way. How might our artwork give voice to prayers that we don't have the words to say? How might we better come to know the author of life through writing and poetry? How might he invite us into fuller understanding of himself as the source of life as we plant seeds and tend to them as they grow? How might we better know the creator by spending time in creation? How might he guide our hearts to love and to welcome others in hospitality as we play sports and build model railways and prepare food and host game nights? How might we better understand our need of him as we test our own strength through exercise as we run or hike or swim? 
How might he use those things that the world has told us were set apart for ourselves if instead we decided to set them apart for him? What would it look like for us to return to God the life he gave to us by allowing him to redeem those things that we already love as acts of worship? Something else that is really interesting to me as I've been reading my Bible is that over and over and over again, when God's presence shows up in somebody's life, when he arrives in the middle of what they are doing and sets them on a new course of direction, it's never because that person was doing the right thing or speaking in the right way or looking in the right places. It's always that God encountered them in their real life and they answered. They said, here I am. God comes to a shepherd named Moses in the wilderness, and he says, here I am. God comes to a prophet named Jeremiah, and he says, here I am. God comes to a little boy named Samuel, and Samuel answers, here I am. What would it look like for us to be those people in our regular lives who repeatedly answer God, here I am, this is yours, I need you. And I've left my time deliberately a little short today because I want to share with you how God has met me in one of my own hobbies. I'm not a person who feels very confident with my words, and so I often pray through art and scripture, and I wanted to share with you how I have been praying Psalm 139 this week. And as we pray this psalm together, I want to invite you to consider what it would look like to, to experience the presence of this God who knows you and who loves you and who calls you and who pursues you in every moment of your day. What could it look like for us to return to him the life he has given to us by seeking him in every moment? O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say before I even say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. 
and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Amen.